Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. Hey, Sissy Goff. Hi, David Thomas. So fun to be back. It is so fun to be back. And it felt really important that we devote an episode of the podcast to the new normal. We've done this before, and we want to talk about where we are at this juncture in the timeline of a global pandemic and what we're seeing with kids, kind of who they are right now and what they're needing. But, you know, before we jump in and talk about that, like, let's talk about what are you needing right now at this, <laughs> at this month in the timeline? That's kind of fun. Okay, this month in the timeline, I would say the two things that come to my mind are rest and really good TV would probably be my two options. And do you have any really good TV that you want to recommend to us? No, I hate to be kind of a broken record, but definitely season two of Ted Lasso has kept me going. It's been really fun. I just need inspiring. And that is always inspiring. I might have to go back and watch Newsroom to get some more inspiration mm. too. I just need that like these days. I feel like we all need it. What about you? What That's are you exactly needing? exactly what I was going to really? say. The new season of Ted Lasso. Aww. I got so excited when the trailer came out, like, for the same reason. Like, we just need some inspiration right now. some inspiration. Who's your favorite character right now? Oh, I love Danny Rojas. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Still think about him running onto the field. Do you remember that moment? Yes. When his character was introduced. There just are so many great characters on that show who crack me up. Yes. And that we just need to be able to laugh right now. All of us. I think that's something that... We're talking about so much with parents. Like, if you lose that ability right now, the ship could go down, Mm. and it just feels important. As you're listening to us even talk about something as silly as television shows right now, to be thinking about what are the things that are helping me laugh right now, helping me come out of some of the heaviness that we have been and are carrying, Mm. and for our kids, too. So what about girls? What are you seeing with them right now? A lot. And I know I've talked about this a couple of times, but at... Daystar, we have this interesting rhythm, or I have an interesting rhythm that's a little different than yours, where I counsel during the most of the academic year, and then during the summer, I go to our little version of a summer retreat program called Hopetown. And so I spent seven weeks, I think, this summer. Wow, maybe that's why I need rest and TV. I spent seven weeks living with rising second graders through graduated seniors. And man, it felt so different to watch them on a daily basis than it even has in counseling. And after watching them, the two things that I would say to describe girls right now, where they are, the first would be hands down that they're struggling and particularly struggling with more anxiety and more depression than I have ever seen in almost 30 years of counseling. And it was fascinating because it really kind of tracked with development, but the younger ones were so anxious 
I've never heard as many looping questions. I've never seen just on their faces when it was often in times that were unstructured, which is exactly what we know about anxiety, that it kind of breeds on unpredictability. And so in those moments, their anxiety just was through the roof. And I think particularly for younger ones, the separation anxiety was so significant because they just haven't been separate. I mean, there has not been nearly enough, I would say, sleepovers with grandparents and sleepovers with friends and just being away in that normal rhythm of back and forth that I think really does build their confidence in a lot of different ways. And so the anxiety, definitely. And then I was watching what we have really suspected so much in our counseling offices of I was watching the depression creep into. And I think the anxiety has been so pervasive and long-lasting that it can't help but bleed over into depression. And so out of that, I think I saw more flat affects on kids, which just means that blankness, that you look at them and it's like they're not even there. And I think that's often an indicator that they're really struggling and they're either spinning in their minds from a really anxious place so they don't know how to engage or they're just so sad. And so we want to be really aware of that. I saw more disengagement. They just weren't connecting with each other. They weren't connecting with so many of the things that we would talk about. They were hanging back in ways. I just, adolescents hang back a little bit anyway, but more than I've ever seen. And and it was interesting because I would have said the younger ones, it was more separation anxiety. I remember a girl standing there crying to me and saying, I just miss my mom. And I said, you're going to see your mom in 18 hours. And it didn't help at all. So it was the separation. But then the older ones, I think it was more social anxiety, which is what I'm seeing in my office too. They just feel so anxious about connecting with peers and how to connect with peers. So the first thing I would say is they're struggling, they're anxious and depressed. And the second, I would say they're out of practice. Just the basic social skills. And that's what I would watch happen with these adolescents in particular this summer of I would walk up and introduce two girls And literally, they've been girls that have known for years, and they would have done fine socially before. And it was like, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to respond to each other. You could tell the awkwardness was palpable in these kids. And so that out of practice feels really significant for them. And so I think we need to really be helping kids have opportunities to be with their peers. I've never sat with a kid, and I think this time it's more true than usual, but I've never sat with a kid that I have asked the question, is it hard to know what to say to somebody sitting next to you at the lunch table that they haven't said yes? Every single time they say, yes, I don't know what to talk about. And so I feel like I've been leaning more into, okay, here are five things you can talk about with kids, with other girls that are sitting next to you at the lunch table. Here are things you can ask on Mondays. Here are things you can talk about on Fridays, just helping them with really specific things. So Those would be the two I'm seeing most with girls. What would you say with boys? I would say when I think about where boys are, and this is so fun because we purposefully did not talk about what we're seeing ahead of time so that we could have this conversation in real time. And I'm always so curious out of those differences we see with boys and girls when we are seeing some really similar Mm -hmm. things, which I think we are to hear you answer in that way. I was thinking about boys are recalibrating and rebounding. Those were the two words that came back to me. Mm, and I want to I want to talk about recalibrating in three ways. I think in relationships, which speaks to some of what you just said. I think with technology, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, and in structure. Those are the three places where I'm seeing them really struggle to get their footing again. And I think with The relational piece, I've talked before about how 70 to 80% of all communication is nonverbal. 
And for boys, that's always been harder for them to read. I think that's more instinctive oftentimes for girls and harder for them. And how much more so when they've just not, as you said, had the practice, they've not had the opportunities. And so they've been outside of those experiences, which have simply made what was already hard that much harder at this point. And, you know, even in the last few years, pre-COVID, I was seeing more boys tentative in ways I don't remember them being in my early years of this work, whether that was trying out for a sports team, asking a girl to do a homecoming dance, even driving. That was the one that always shot me. Like when I was growing up, I do not remember a boy who was not chomping at the yes. bit to get his license and boys who are fearful and tentative even about risking in that way. And so, so I think as those things were becoming more difficult pre-COVID, how much more so they've been in this moment and in, in terms of just, again, not having the practice to do that. I mentioned with technology and, you know, let's laugh together. We talked about how important it is that we laughed. I've talked with so many parents who I'm brokenhearted. I know you are too. We've talked about this piece before of how many parents have just heaped guilt on themselves about, I let my kids be on screens too much. And the only way I could get my job done was to let a screen be a babysitter. And I Every time I hear a parent say that, I'm always wanting to respond first with, of course, of course, of course. You know, at one point, the only way kids could do school was through virtual learning with a screen. And of course, you were trying to maintain your job. And that was one of the only ways that you could continue your work. And so just hoping that parents can extend more grace to themselves in knowing that kids have been on screens more than they've ever been and that we're in a place of kind of recalibrating, resetting in that space and walking back into healthier screen limits as kids get an in-person school experience and have more extracurricular activities. But this mom I was with recently said, it is literally like detox at our house. She's talking about her 10-year-old son. She goes, I feel like I am living with an addict four days clean. Mm -hmm. Like he's just (laughs) so irritable and volatile as the technology shuts down with the circle device and having to reset new healthy screen limits in ways that it just didn't look like that six, nine months ago. So I think that's part of the recalibrating. I would also say that third way is in structure. And I talk a lot about how boys have a love-hate relationship with structure. They crave it, they need it desperately, and they despise it. They don't like it imposed on them. And I think during COVID, you know, when kids were doing virtual learning, a lot of the school days were shorter. And then when there were no extracurricular activities, they could, again, kind of jump on a screen and didn't have to be in the rhythms of a practice schedule where they're getting back to that now in ways that we know really benefit them. Kids thrive in structure and sameness. They experience, we talk about so much security with boundaries and structure, but boys push hard against that. And so I'm seeing a lot of recalibrating and hearing parents, you know, report stories like, Their sons are saying like, I hate that. I miss having more free time. I wish we didn't have to go somewhere. But knowing ultimately that that accomplishes something really important for them. So recalibrating in those three ways, rebounding, I think in the ways that we've talked so much about throughout this of just the residual of COVID has hit every one of us differently. And I think the losses have stacked up uniquely for kids and adolescents and adults in different ways specific to your circumstances. And I think back on all the stories I've heard parents tell over the course of this from 
a parent who said, you know, when their church was able to offer children's programming again and they took their kids back to Sunday school and one parent said, you know, our church was so intentional, they wanted to have the same teachers the kids had known, so there'd be that familiarity, that sameness. And yet when we went to hand our toddler a son over, he burst into tears because he just had not had a chance to practice separating out the way, as you were mentioning a few minutes ago, kids get to practice when they go to grandparents or overnight, those kinds of things. And I think about a friend who talked about dropping his son off for college, and they were doing a bubble system. And so he had to just pull up in front of the school and hand out his belongings in garbage bags and then drive away. He never even saw his son's dorm room. And those losses that I think we've all experienced in different ways that I think I'm seeing a lot of boys still rebounding from that. And the missed opportunities, I'm going to talk more as we go forward. I'll preview right now about, you know, how much I believe in movement, how needed, I think that is, for boys of all ages, and that boys experience a loss of having sports practices in a way that they needed desperately. You know, I talk so much about how boys base a lot of their value on their performance. I don't think that's right, but I think it is. I think males base so much of their sense of self incompetence at times, too. And so even there, I'm seeing a lot of boys who had a parent tell me a story just this week about her son had signed up for golf tryouts, and then the day came, and he came home early from school, and she was like, did they cancel it? And he said, no, I just couldn't go. And mm-hmm. I think not feeling the competence and the confidence to step back into those opportunities. So I think they're rebounding in all those ways. Mm. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Did you know that Minnow has an award-winning children's Bible? Written by VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer, the Minnow Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids is more than a children's Bible storybook. It's a deep, engaging, and whimsical gospel experience. Each Bible story is vividly illustrated, takes just minutes to read, and includes a family connection to encourage readers to learn, talk, and pray together. Find out more at shop.gominnow.com. That's shop.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. So we talk a little bit about what girls need. Well, I think I need to talk about what girls need and what we need too as grown-ups who love them. I mean, the first thing I would say that they need, maybe we need too, is coping skills. And y'all know, David and I talk about this so much. We cannot bring it home enough in terms of how much your kids need and you need coping skills that you are using in front of each other to sit together as a family over dinner and everybody come up with a list of 10 things that help when you're sad, when you're frustrated, when you're worried. One of the things I've done kind of a deep dive into doing some anxiety research again, and it's so interesting because I think in the four books that I've read here recently, one of the things that keeps coming up is how anxiety is always searching for context. And so when we feel anxious inside of ourselves, it's kind of looking for what it can attach to. And with kids, when it's not something that is valid, if that makes sense, Don't use that word maybe with them. But when it's not something real like monsters, it's a whole lot easier to fight. But when it's valid, when it's being rejected by their peers, when it's getting sick, when it's something that feels real to them, it is a whole lot harder. And in those times, they're much more hesitant to use the coping strategies that we talk about with them. And so what happens, and we talk about this so much, both of us, that 
kids will often use you as their primary coping strategy. So they will vent all over you. They will explode with you rather than doing the work that comes from regulating themselves in those moments. And so we've really got to keep going back to, even if you talked about coping skills six months ago, talk about them again. Because as kids get older too, their coping skills are going to shift and what really does help them. But we need to be having conversations about that regularly. And I think out of those, naming the worry might be the most important right now because it shifts and because it's looking for context. And so for them to understand that what they're attaching to, you know, it's what we say with anxiety all the time. It's never really about the thing. It's about the anxiety that they feel inside of themselves. And so when they can give it a name, like the worry monster that I talk about in Braver, Stronger, Smarter, or the worry whisperer with older kids, or you have boys call it the Hulk, and I have girls who name it all kinds of random things from Bob to Agnes to whatever. It doesn't matter. But to name it, they're always going to be able to fight it easier when it has a name. It reduces its power. And then when it comes back, you can say, sounds like the worry monster's back to me. Because we have got to be actively fighting these things with the kids we love. The number one reason that kids don't work through their anxiety, and I would even say grownups too, is they don't practice. They don't practice the skills. So those coping skills are crucial right now for kids and, again, for us to be modeling in front of them. And in light of that, I would say the other thing that I think girls need or two things together are grace and calm. Because I sure think from sitting with kids lately that they are the worst versions of themselves in the ways that they're struggling. And David, we haven't talked about this yet. I'm curious if you're seeing this too. I think probably last time we talked about this very thing, what kids need, we talked about how we had had more parents in tears in our offices than ever before. It's shifted in my office. And I have more angry parents, I think, than I've ever had before. And y'all, please hear, David and I say this with so much grace. You know we want you to always feel so much grace towards you. We want you to experience that from us. But I think we're tired and we're over it. And they are too, and their brains aren't developed yet. I sat with a couple a couple months ago, and this man said, he was a CEO of his company, and he said, you know, I've done some leadership training here lately. And he said, one of the things they talked about is that when you are the director in the room, when you're the executive, when you're the boss, basically, you're supposed to be the calmest person in the room. Mm. Parents need to be the calmest person in the room too. And again, I say that with so much grace. Watch Ted Lasso, go for walks, yell in your pillow, whatever it is you have to do to get there. But they're so anxious and they're so sad. And so when we're venting all over the house, when they're hearing it, when they're hearing us on the phone, and you all, we have reason to be frustrated at different times in these days. And there's a lot that is so charged. And no matter where you land on the chargedness, that's not a word, but no matter where you land with all of that, they still need you to be the calmest person in the room because they're not going to be able to get there if you can't. And so they need a whole lot of grace in their struggles, and they need you to be calm and be their solid, safe foundation. What about boys? What would you say they need? I love that. I'm glad you talked about that, and I am seeing a lot of that, unfortunately, too, a lot. I would say when I think about what boys need, I want to talk about support and challenge and about practice and consistency. With support and challenge, I want to highlight that I think it's both. 
not one or the other, but both. And sometimes it feels tricky, I think, to figure out the balance of each. But, you know, if I were to think back on the story I just shared about the young man who bowed out of golf tryouts, you know, that his mom met him in this really beautiful way of support and challenge. You know, she started with just saying things like, of course you felt overwhelmed by that. You haven't played on a sports team in the longest period of time. And it makes sense to me that you feel like your golf game is off and you're wondering if you're going to make the team. There's the support. And then she wanted to say, and I want you to email your coach and let him know you're going to be there for day two. Mm. And copy me on that email so I know you follow through <laughs> with that. Good accountability. Exactly. And I think it's both and. She did this great listening and honoring the fact that he felt overwhelmed, but also the challenge of, I want to help you get back out there because you need it. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. But, you know, I understand that you feel frustrated and having less screen time than we've had over the last year. How do you want to fill the extra time you have on your hands at that point? Support and challenge. So I really want to encourage parents who are listening, think in what it looks like to offer both of those. Think also about where you, out of your hardwiring, might bend a little more toward one than the other. So dads who are listening, I think we are great problem solvers as males. We can go straight to the challenge and fly right over the support. And maybe for a mom listening, you are an Olympic gold medalist in support, but you have trouble moving more toward the challenge. Think about what it looks like to offer both. I think to role play is we've talked before in the Arm My Kids on Track season about how it is an experiential practice. It gives these kids and adolescents who've not had as much practice opportunity to slide back into those moments. So practice, you know. Say, all right, I'll be the girl you're going to ask to the homecoming dance. You be you. (laughs) Think about all the different ways we can use role play to practice those harder moments in life. Asking a coach for more playing time. Asking a coach what you need to work on at tryouts. Apologizing to a friend you've heard. And, you know, we talk about in that season the milestone of empathy. And we are killing two birds with one stone when we use role play and switch the roles and give kids a chance to slide into the other person's experience too. So just a lot of great stuff that happens when we camp out in that space of role play. And I mentioned practice and consistency. And with the word practice, first of all, on a literal level, boys just need sports practices again. I talked with some coaches the other day and One of them said, you know, I don't even still know how much of a full season we're going to be able to offer kids. And he said, but I just feel like they need to be practicing nonetheless. And I just said, good for you. And I couldn't agree more. You know, if there's not a way to play a game in a stadium, but they could still be a part of the practice experience, that it's the engagement piece. But it's more importantly, as I talk about all the time with boys, the movement opportunity. One of the reasons that I'm convinced there was a rise in depression and anxiety with boys is that so many of them lost the built-in movement experience of sports practices. I really do. And, you know, I talk about in adolescence that boys experience five to seven surges of testosterone pouring through their bodies a day, a day, not a week, not a month, a day. Absolutely. And the buildup of that when you are only sitting still or just engaging video games as opposed to having a movement experience is indescribable, like it's so needed. And I I really do believe there's a strong connection why so many boys were struggling with anxiety and depression when they didn't have those opportunities, again, with consistency. I think that's so key. And I'm so hopeful 
that that can happen with more consistency now. I think the pandemic has reminded us of that more than ever. How much we all do, not just kids and adolescents, not just boys and adolescent young men, but we all need movement experiences. And so I would add to that, we talk a lot about how practice makes progress. And, you know, I think back to that story I shared a few minutes ago of the toddler age boy who felt overwhelmed going back into Sunday school, having not had that practice of separating out. And kids are going to need more practice than ever. And waiting and laboring with kids in that space while they're really struggling, really teary, is hard. I think watching the kids we love struggle is one of the most overwhelming tasks of parenting. But they're going to need the practice more than ever as we think about them stepping into these opportunities. And consistency is key. You know, whether it's Teaching kids to regulate as Sissy was talking, establishing bedtime routines, chores, discipline. You all have heard us talk about that before. Consistency is hard to execute, but it is of such importance. And it provides, as we talked about earlier, so much safety. So with the practice, a lot of consistency, even when it looks like kids aren't moving forward, you know, if they just kind of plateaued in a certain practice, we want to encourage you to stay the course because practice doesn't make perfect. It makes progress. So what about some takeaways? Well, one, I would say, and we love when we get to be the bad guys for you all. So let us be the bad guys in this and maybe come up with a creative thing you could do. I mean, I would say tonight with your kids, make s'mores in the fireplace or do something that's kind of unpredictable with them and talk to your kids about how they're doing. Tell them you heard these two counselors talk that work with kids every day and that we said that kids are really struggling and ask them questions like, how are you? Are you seeing more anxiety or more depression at school? Or if they're younger, just more sadness? Are you seeing more kids who are worried? We know with different ages, it's going to look different. And so to ask them even how it's impacting their friends, because often kids will talk about their friends when they won't talk about themselves, but what they're really talking about are themselves when they're answering about their friends. So ask about their friends and how is it impacting you? What can I do to help? Does it feel safe to talk to me? And I think in this day and time, we can't ask kids enough, would you ever like to talk to somebody besides me about what's going on? You can always come to me and tell me that, that they know without much explanation, they can say, I think I'd like to go see somebody now and that you will be willing to take them to find somebody safe for them outside of home. Because I think we all need it more than usual right now. Yes, we do. What would you say? I'm going to give one last pitch for movement. So you make sure you p- hear me putting an You're exclamation me feel so point. I need to go for a walk okay, this good. afternoon. I hope I am. I think do require a consistent movement outlet. And when we talk with parents about choosing your battles, I think that's a hill to die on. I really do. But I do want to differentiate and say, I don't think it's that kids have to be a part of an organized sports experience. Although I think there's great things that come from that. But think on all the different ways that could look. You know, maybe it is we're going to train as a family for a fun run or a 5K. We're going to join a climbing club at our local climbing gym. We're going to join a community cycling league. All the different ways that could look that are still allowing kids to have that movement experience with consistency. And on that note of movement, I want to encourage you to use the very questions that Sissy just mentioned with boys as well. But when you do go on a hike, a walk, (laughs) or a drive, because 
I'd invite you to remember that eye to eye feels more threatening for boys. That feels overwhelming to them, but side by side conversations feel safer and I think would be the best, safest way to ask some of those really important questions. And just a reminder, out of all of this, we are cheering you guys on. We are in your corner and we think you're doing great. Hang in there. Your kids are going to get through this and so are you. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.